Well, we, uh, the Sunday that we left, I called Clayton Cottle and I asked him if he would preach that evening for me because I was going to be gone. And then I knew I was coming back today and I kind of had in my mind, I'm, I'm just, I'm just, you'll, you'll think this is silly, but if you're on vacation, you, you don't, I don't want to think about stuff. But if you're going to preach, you got to think a little bit. Now I know you're thinking, I've heard you preach, Pastor, and I don't know if that's true or not. But you got to you got to have it in your mind. You got to be thinking about it. So I didn't want to be thinking too much while I was on vacation. But I knew I was going to preach this morning, so I decided that I would have someone else preach tonight. Well, Jonathan Bledsoe is uh, been called to preach and is in has finished his first year at Mid America. And part of what they have to do is sort of some intern-like work during the summer. And uh, I knew he was going to be home, so I asked him if he would help me out a little bit tonight. And so we're trying to... you got 45 minutes, okay? And uh, I don't know about... But when I first started preaching, I was short. And the people like it that way. <laughs> and now I'm long, and they don't like it, no. But... I'm just, I'm just saying, we're trying to get these young kids up here, get them going, trying to keep them learning, and things like that. They need a lot of prayer. They, the, what they're doing is not uh, particularly easy, and, uh, and so lift them up, be praying for them, pray that the Lord will be speaking to their hearts. And uh, I wanted to tell Clayton, I didn't tell him yet, but I wanted to thank you for preaching for me while I was gone. I didn't hear anybody gripe or complain, so it must have been all right. But uh, tonight we're going to have Jonathan come and share with us. So come, Jonathan, bring the word to us. Well, hope I'm not too long. That way I still have job security. So, but uh, no, tonight I want to talk to something, talk to you guys about something that's kind of happened to me at MNU. Something that. Uh, is definitely worth the $37,000 that I paid this last year and that I will continue to pay for the next however long it takes me to pay it off. But uh, one of the things that you, whenever you go to Mid-America is you get to meet a lot of amazing people. And those amazing people, they come into your lives and uh, they change them, both as friends, as coaches, but mostly as profs. Uh, A lot of the profs that I met the first semester I was there, they were really cool. They uh, welcomed me in to MNU they showed me how to have a good time getting into God's Word even more than I already was, and it was just an amazing atmosphere, and I loved it. But second semester is where it really got me. Second semester, I took a class that I'd never taken, that I'd never imagined that I'd really have to take. But it's a class that everyone at MNU takes, and if you've ever went to MNU, you've definitely had this professor for Christian beliefs. Larry Fine is the coolest person you'll ever meet in your entire life. He's probably been there since definitely before it was even invented or thought of, but he's, he's this amazing prophet, he's retiring this year, and I was very, still very excited that I got to have him, because I got to know him on a deeper and personal level. Uh, we would sit there after classes, and we'd sit there and have talks about different things, different topics that we discussed about. The class he teaches is Christian Beliefs. It's a mandatory class for all the freshmen and everybody that graduates there that you have to take it. Um, in this class, we talk about many different things about what we as Nazarenes believe. And uh, I took Pastor Brian's class, and I got the, a very brief overview, kind of everything that's in the, in the manual, right? Well, 
Larry Fine, he has a little bit more time to go down, and he has more time to break it down in each and everything. So as we got to take this class, I got to go and get deeper into each and everything that we believe. Uh, we talked about so many different things, and his class is actually based around a certain quote, even though he probably doesn't think it. I do. The quote's from Aristotle. It uh, says, The mark of an educated mind is to be able to entertain a thought without accepting it. If you've ever taken this class, you definitely had to entertain quite a few thoughts because he would have four or five different theories for each and every thought. So it was very difficult to keep up with, but it was a great time. We had a lot of, it was a discussion class. We got to have a lot of great discussions in there that would lead to well after if you sit there and talk to him long enough. But some of the things that he talked about, he talked about creation and about when it was and what the different theories are that people believe in it and the resurrection ideas as well that there's many different theorists have different beliefs on what the resurrection really happened, where the body went, and all this cool stuff. Um, we talked about sanctification, which was a big topic for me. I didn't know when, if I had ever got sanctified, and we had a great discussion about it. Uh, we talked about what sin was. And we talked about how there's only certain different areas that you can sin. Like, you have to have knowledge that you're doing it. You have to know that it is a sin, and all these different requirements. It's a really cool class, because it really proves the fact that a temptation is not a sin. But the one thing that really spoke to me, the one subject that I'm actually going to talk about today, and we'll start off talking about today, is uh, does God really know everything? We always say that God knows everything, but there's a lot of different versions of everything. And that's what we talked about. We talked about in this class that he came up with three different main theories about what everything was. Um, two of them, as I was discussing with my mom and sister, which got backlash for that one because obviously they're retarded and no person that had a mind could ever imagine this. But uh, the first one was that God knows everything that's happening right now and everything that's happened in the past, so therefore he can make a very good educated guess on what we are going to decide to do next. And obviously this is a theory and not what I thought. And as I was sitting in this class, I'm thinking, wow, this is really really dumb. God knows everything, obviously. What are you talking about? Um, we move on to the next theory that he comes up with. Uh, the next theory is that everything has a choice, a consequence, which leads to more choices. Kind of like a spiderweb effect. Well, the next theory is that God knows every single choice, every single consequence that brands off that choice, and options that come off that. So pretty much you could never make a move, never make a decision that God doesn't already know about. So therefore, you can't really surprise God. Then there's the third theory, which is my favorite theory. God knows everything. He knows everything past, everything that's happening now in every person's life, and everything that will happen. But there was a problem with this theory. The problem came in this theory was a father's love for me. How could somebody know everything that was ever going to happen and still be willing to send his, send his son, his one and only son, to a cross and to be tortured hung up on a cross, crucified, stabbed in the side, and knew all this was going to happen. How could you ever do that? I, I couldn't do that. I, I'm not a parent, so I don't understand the love that you parents have for your children, but I'm going to guess none of you guys could do that. There's no way I could do that. No way. I couldn't even do that to my sister, and I don't love her all the time. But I couldn't do it. There's no way. I couldn't, I couldn't get around this thought. But this was the only theory that made sense. It was the only theory that I could find that was completely true through the entire Bible. And that's what I want to talk to you guys about is God did this and he knew it was going to happen from the beginning. When he first created man, he knew that this was all going to play out. The first, first, way, first place you see this in the Bible is actually a prophecy 
And uh, the prophecy starts all the way back in Genesis, chapter 3. That's the very beginning, as you guys all know, the first book of the Bible, third chapter. I mean, you've got to have pretty close to the beginning. It's right after the fall of man. This is right after Adam and Eve and both ate from the apple, which was Adam's fault, by the way, for all of us men who d- deny it. But it goes down, you go down here and you get to chapter 3 and you're sitting here li- reading about the fall of mankind and you're sitting here thinking, oh yeah, this is kind of where it all went down, right? And he's sitting here and he curses the, he curses the serpent, right? And the last thing that he says to the serpent is this, is, and you find it in uh, verse 15. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. If you listen to lots of different versions, each version translates this differently from the Greek and from the earlier even that, the Hebrew. And uh, different versions will say that it bruises his heel. And this is the first prophecy and you might be thinking, how is this prophecy? Of course, they're snakes. My grandma cut their head off with a hoe and she'd go to the mailbox. Of course, that's what we do to snakes. We kill them. And they, they strike us and that's the way it goes, right? But no, it's actually talking about the cross here as when Christ, whenever they would crucify someone, they would st- whenever they would st- stab the nails through the feet, as they were hanging up on the cross, their heels would literally be bruised from the amount of weight and the force that was put on their heels. And this is where you get this from, is that we w- he would literally strike his heel and bruise it up there on the cross. But then you got the, you got the re- wonderfulness of, he would crush his head though. Even after this, he goes down there and he says, not today, goodbye, cuts the head off, crushes it, everything, and we win, right? So you might be thinking, oh yeah, he obviously had this plan at the very beginning, and we kind of had a lot of cool stories that happened through there, and you get going through the Old Testament, you're like, oh, this cool story, this cool story, they raided this village, and we had all these cool things that happened. And then you come to the next story, and the next story is actually in Genesis 48, so it's not too far in the Bible, but it is a few hundred years later. Uh, You get to the story of Manasseh and Ephraim. Here's another story. This is a foreshadowing what's going to happen at the cross. Once again, God's like, hey, here's another story for you to realize. This is what's coming. Pay attention. It's coming. Uh, The story's about uh, Joseph and his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim. And uh, in the old days, the uh, grandfather would give blessings to the grandchildren whenever he was about to die. So uh, Jacob, or Israel in the story, is is about to pass away, so he's getting ready to give his blessing off to the sons. And you always give the blessing to the older of the two. You always do. It's just the way it's been done. Just as God, you would think, he would give his blessing to the deserving son, which was Jesus Christ. But um, in the story, when uh, Jacob comes down, he's getting ready to lay his hands down on his, children, on his grandchildren. He's getting ready to give him the blessing. He crosses his arms. He gives the blessing to the younger one, the one that doesn't deserve it as much. And there we are again. Once again... God's showing us, hey, I'm willing to give the blessing to you guys, the ones that have sinned, have fallen away, who don't quite deserve it, and I'm willing to put my wrath upon the one that truly does deserve it. So, there we have another story. It then continues to go on. Of course, we all know the story of Hosea and Gomer, when Christ truly shows that he even makes, this story is the whole story is about to represent God marrying us and to show the cross again. He comes in, he, he, the story of Hosea and Gomer, Hosea marries a prostitute which is unclean, someone that is not worthy. And he's willing to go out and he's willing to go out and find her, track her down. And he's, then he's willing to pay the price to be with her forever. 
just as God was willing to pay for that price by sending his son to the cross. So these three stories are spread out through the Old Testament. There's plenty more of them if you want to go find them. There's probably one in each book of the Bible if you were to really look for it. But, so then you're thinking, okay, obviously God's got this plan of a cross going on. I mean, it's a pretty big deal, apparently. I guess something cool might happen there, right? So we get to the New Testament, and this is where it actually gets really interesting. Many people, when they think about the New Testament, they uh, obviously, most people include the cross in it, but they'll also include all the miracles that uh, Christ did. He uh, healed the lame, healed the leper, made water into wine, did all these really cool miracles, right? And a lot of people, that's what we know him for. That's at least most of the old the Bible stories, if I'm not mistaken, that are taught in Bible schools. He did all these cool miracles. That's not what Christ came for. Christ didn't come to do miracles. He did them because that's who he is. God's obviously, wherever he's going to be, there's going to be miracles done. And the reason that I know that this isn't his main plan is because at the end of Matthew it says, you guys will go out and do greater miracles than I did even. So how could you be known for something if you're telling people, yeah, I did them, but you're going to do better? So what is his plan? Once again, it's focused on the cross. I counted it up. As I was going through the, the New Testament, God, he mentions it 11 times, the cross, in some way other than the actual story of the cross. 11 different times. And you think, well, that's not really a lot for four books of the Bible, that four main gospels. Well, that's not. That was 11 times just in the book of Matthew. Four times that he mentioned, hey, it's coming. The cross is coming. I am focused on this. This is what I'm headed towards, guys. I have a plan. I am willing to accomplish my plan no matter what the sacrifice is, no matter what's going on. The first one of these is actually in Matthew 5, and he gives a sermon on the mount. This is his very beginning of his ministry. When he first really starts his ministry, he already knows where his plan is. He already knows where he's going, and he's willing to get there no matter what. It says in this, it says, it's the fulfillment of the law. And so many people think, yeah, God came to fulfill the law, kind of get rid of it, whatever. No, he didn't. He said, do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, there will not be a smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen, by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. He didn't come to abolish the law, he came to fulfill it. And by fulfill it, he didn't mean do everything that it did. Whenever he meant, whatever he came to fulfill the law, if you messed up on the law, you had to sacrifice something. You had to make a sacrifice that hurt deeply. And that's what he came to do. He came to fulfill that sacrifice that needed to be done because the law was broken. Because as individuals, we were, un, we were unable to continue to fulfill the law. We just kept breaking it. So he came to earth to be able to, be able to completely fulfill that. He continues to go on. It just keeps going, keeps going, keeps going, keeps going. He eventually gets down to getting ready to get down to the end. And uh, he's sitting there. And he, has to, he predicts his death three times before it even happens. I can't predict my death one time before it happens. He did it three times. Predicted it three times. Knew exactly what was going to happen. Knew that he would get handed over. He knew everything that was going to go down. He knew the plan. He knew that Judas would go and betray him. He knew all this. Never, never changed. Never Deviated. I could, it could have been pretty simple to say, halfway through the journey, thinking, well, I know Judas is about to make that decision. Judas, goodbye, leave me. I got more work to do. You know what I mean? But that wasn't, his, that wasn't God's plan. God's plan 
and his plan together were that they were going to go to the cross. They were going to go and see if they could fulfill this thing, fulfill this plan that needed to be done that they knew from the very beginning. You know, what happens whenever you take your eyes off the plan isn't pretty. We each have a plan just as Jesus Christ had a plan. God has a plan for each and every one of us. We're all his children. He all loves us just as much as he loves Jesus. Otherwise, he wouldn't have sent him here down here to sacrifice him for us. The, plan, the idea of that plan, though, is, is what happens when you take your eyes off of it. Uh, Peter, he was sitting there walking on the water. He, he wasn't, Jesus wasn't the only one that walked on water. Everybody thinks that Jesus was cool because he walked on water. But Peter walked on water, too, guys. He walked on it for quite a while because he's focused on God. He focused on Jesus. He focused on him. He had his eyes on him. There was nothing, nothing going to get in his way of getting to Jesus because Jesus said, come. So he did. He got out of the boat, started walking across this stormy water. And the moment he took his eyes off and he sank. He began sinking, sinking, sinking. And he cried out to Jesus. He's like, Jesus. And he grabs me. He's like, he's like, dude, come on. Shouldn't you looking at me? Stay looking at me. Don't lose, your, don't lose eye contact. Don't lose it. We got a good thing going here. We got a plan. We're going places. He has that plan for each and every one of us too. It says in Psalms 38, or 32, verse 8, I will instruct you and teach you in the ways you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. He never, he never loses eyesight with us so that he can show us this way. Because we're not Jesus, we, we can't know the final plan. We can't know that because we're not God. We don't have that ability. But we can trust in the one that can see the end of the plan. We can trust in the one that, whenever it comes down to it, he knows which way we need to choose. He knows which path. He knows which decision. He knows everything. We just have to trust on that plan. And the only way you can trust on that plan is to be like Peter at the beginning and focus on Jesus. I know from a personal experience that happened to me, that whenever you take your eyes off Jesus Christ, it ain't pretty at all. I'd like to say that this experience was two or three years ago when I first got saved, but unfortunately, this experience was a, about a month ago now, probably. I don't know exactly the dates, but it was two weeks before finals week started. Everybody that's ever went to college knows exactly what finals weeks is. It's filled with sweatpants, coffee, and Starbucks, and all this cool stuff that's espressos and keeps you up at night. That's what it's full of. It's full of that with tests. It's very very time consuming and it started with me two weeks before because I had football and I'm sitting here and I'm getting ready for the spring game and the spring game's kind of a big deal I was kind of low with the depth chart and I was kind of like fighting and I was like oh, I gotta really focus on this I was spending every, every waking moment I had focusing on this and I began to lose sight of Christ I began to stop reading my Bible as much as I should in the morning instead I would skip morning Bible study and I would go to morning lifts and get that extra rep in before and all this stuff began to take a toll between the studying for finals, between the trying to hang out with friends, the time that it took to eat, the time to jump from class to class, the time to go take an extra rep in every now and then, the meetings with coaches, the meetings with professors, the worrying about projects, the studying for pro- the actual doing of projects, which is a whole different thing than actually thinking about the projects. But each one of these things kept my eyes off Christ. I began to notice that that on Sunday before I left, the Sunday that I was, the last Sunday I was up there, I was at, I was at a worship service and I was sitting there thinking, wow, I haven't worshipped like this in years. And this ain't in a good way. My heart's not here. I have, what, what's wrong? 
was in the middle of the worship service, and I started to break down because I realized that I wasn't where I needed to be. I'd taken my eyes off Christ. I'd started to sink in the water. I'd started to fall in this, this busyness that, we had all, that I'd created about myself. And it didn't work. It took weeks. It took just two weeks. Two weeks to go from loving Jesus and being completely sold out to him, doing Bible studies twice a day, leading my fellow roommates to Christ to being no worship service, no emotion into anything, just walking around like this. Everywhere I went, head, head looking down, nothing, no plan, nothing. Just, I gotta get through this, I hate this, ready to go home, I'm ready to be done. And then you throw packing on it, it's like, oh, so tiring. I can't look anywhere, I just gotta focus on what I got right here. I gotta pack, okay, study for finals, okay. And just began to do this over and over again, every day. It was a constant day, constant day, constant day. And it was exhausting. Absolutely exhausting. It was baggage. It was distractions. And it didn't work. I get back from, I get back from college. Finally get down packing and I get back and I, I finally come home. I get home like, mom, yes, I love my mom. So I get home and it's wonderful. I'm back. I got this groove again. I can get fired back up, right? First Sunday I get here and it's better. It's a lot better, actually. I'm like, whoo, Jesus, where has this been for the last few weeks? It's nice. It's warm. It's what I know. It's comfort, right? Next week, it gets a little better. Still not back to where I used to be. Just two weeks took me down too far for two weeks to bring me back. So next week, I'm like, ah, okay, getting better, getting better, getting better. It's the daily, starting to get into the daily devotions again. Starting to really get focused. And finally, I think this is week three, if I'm not mistaken. I think it is. I'm not for sure. I think this is sun- Sunday number three that I've finally actually been back. I don't know what that taking is. But Sunday I'm back, and I'm actually back to where I was. I'm back to that full on, back to, back to walking on water with Jesus. Back on walking to him, right, walking right at him, focused on him completely. And these distractions, they're still there. They're still there. It's pretty easy. Had a girl during that distraction period, too. She tried to talk to me for like four days. That was the long, longest relationship I'd had in seven months or whatever it was. But I'm sitting there, and it's like, she, she texts me back up, and she's like, hey, what up? I'm back in Springfield, Missouri. You want to hang out? I was like, distractions. Probably not a good idea. Probably just going to say no to that distraction. One less distraction, right? So instead that night, I went and went and studied my Bible got my eyes focused back on Jesus. So that's my challenge to you guys tonight, is that if you guys have any baggage, if you guys have anything that's really weighing you down, if you could think about it. And uh, I'd like Jimmy and Lance to come on up. And if you guys, if you guys have anything that's weighing on your heart, that whether it be a relationship that you have, or whether it be uh, anything that you possibly have in your life, whether it be a relationship with a girl, whether it be too much TV time, too much social media time, whether it be something that's really happening in your life that's got you distracted. I had a lot of legal and family problems that were going on the last few months dealing with that, and that didn't help any either. I don't know what it is. I don't know if there's something in your life that you just need to get out of your system, 
just get out of your life and just throw it on the ground and say, I'm done with this. I'm ready to lift my eyes up from focusing on what's beneath my feet and to lift my eyes up on Jesus. And if you guys have anything you like to do that, if you guys would like to come to the altars, the altars are open. Uh, bring a friend if you need. I don't care. Whatever, whatever you need to be able to get this and to be able to put it down and put it behind you and focus on Jesus Christ. The altars are open if you guys need to come and pray.